Deontay starts, Jazz lose four straight, and the in-season tournament begins for this team. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. The question, what's going wrong? And the answer seems pretty simple. They have a math problem, they're losing the possession battle, and the offense isn't humming like it used to. Last year, they were a top 10 offense. They were 10th. It's not like they were a stellar defensive team, but at least they had brim protection. Now with Walker out for two weeks at the very least, they won't have that guy out there. So to pair with a defense that isn't one of the best and an offense that has been struggling, there are things that are going wrong. And there are things as a result of the Walker injury they're being forced to do. So we'll check you out and, and see what, what's happening because the possession game is huge in understanding what's going wrong. Right? They get offensive rebounds. That is their best skill. This team has really adopted crash the glass when you miss a shot. It also helps that they're missing a lot of shots. This is a bottom-tier team when it comes to making two-point field goals. Number one on no boards. Turnovers on offense have been killers. They are number one at turning the ball over. Not great. And you looked at the last time that we've talked. Minnesota, Chicago, Indiana. 18-22-21 turnovers. 61 total over three games. And that's just raw numbers. Live ball turnovers are crushing them. They had 10 against Minnesota. 10 against Chicago. 13 live ball turnovers over the last three. That's 33. It's probably a bad omen when the first possession against the Pacers is Ochai Abaji trying to force it to Lowry Markinen and Obi Toppin takes it for a pick six. Nearly half of the turnovers over the last three have been live ball. That will kill you. And that's exactly what's costing them right now because... They're giving the ball away, but they're not generating it on the other end. So they don't force giveaways. 29th in the league, defensive turnovers. So you're already at a disadvantage. You're losing possessions that you gain with your offensive rebounds, but you don't get them back on the other end. And the defense in general is the problem. It's been very bad. They foul a ton Teams are living at the free throw line. You looked at Paolo Banquero's night and how easy they made it down the stretch by fouling him. They're inhibiting themselves defensively. So teams are living at the line. Three games, their opponents have gone 30-plus free throws. That's not bad refereeing. That's them in general. That's it. Without Walker, and, and Walker had a good game against the Chicago Bulls, Block four shots. But without him, they're going to have to have more of a concerted effort at that rim protection. It's going to be similar to the way that they started last year when Kelly Olynyk was in the starting lineup. They don't have a backstop back there. They don't have someone who's going to erase mistakes. Walker being out is forcing Will Hardy into change. 
well, you're going to see some lineups that we haven't seen yet, obviously. Um, you know, we're going to have a, a new starting group. We've got a couple guys who are going to be making their first starts of the year tonight in um, Keontae and Ochai. Um, but we're a team, and this is why, you know, you try to always lean into the fact that this is a team and you try to keep everybody on the roster ready because as all of us in the room that spend a lot of time around the NBA know, um, things can can change in an instant. And in this case, we got some news that none of us were happy to hear, but we have to move on and we have to try to do our best to, you know, put the players that are dressing tonight in an opportunity, you know, in a position to succeed. And ultimately, there might have been change even if there wasn't that forced bit of action through Walker's injury. That starting lineup of Kessler, Collins, Markinen, Clarkson, Horton, Tucker was getting crushed. According to Cleaning the Glass, third worst differential of lineups with at least 100 possessions together. Third worst. The only ones that are worse were Portland's starting lineup and San Antonio's. Otherwise, Utah was 101 offensive rating, 122 defensive rating. So something eventually had to change. It truly just had to. And it came in the form of Keontae George starting. He was going to be given the keys. It was going to happen. It, it's not something that entirely catches you by surprise. But in Game 9, handing the ball to Keontae George, a player who everyone's high on, you know the discussion started in training camp. He impressed everybody in Hawaii. He impressed everybody during the preseason games. And in the flashes during the regular season, this was the track everything was going on. And if the Jazz couldn't score against the Pacers, they'd be in a problem because teams are scoring on the Pacers. 155 they gave up against the Celtics. And they go out and they score 60 in the first half. Keontae has a debut that looks pretty efficient. And it's very different from the other guards that they have. And it's the reason why you make the decision. He offers something different. Seven points, nine assists, one turnover. Only one of his assists comes from attacking a closeout, driving the rim, and then feeding Kelly Olenek in the paint. It's the only one. This team had turned into such a drive-kick-swing team that you could tell every single guard was putting their head down, driving, kicking, swinging, sometimes with very reckless abandon. But Keontae got the ball out of his hands. He was moving it. He's making the right reads, and he's doing it without sacrificing that creativity. One turnover in that backcourt is huge. We went over it. 33 live ball turnovers over the last three games. The idea that Keontae can keep that number down will help this team. And the starting lineup of Collins, Markinen, Abaji, Clarkson, George played 43 possessions so far this season, a minus seven, but with a 114 offensive rating and a 121 defensive rating. That, believe it or not, is improvement. And as you watch him get more comfortable, as you see him try to find John Collins on lobs. That's something that hasn't been unlocked in his game so far. But as you see that, more things will be given offensively to the rookie 
that he can execute. Here's Will Hardy reviewing his game and giving you the reason why Keontae started against the Pacers. I think Keontae's played really well. Um, I think he's shown an ability to pass the ball. Um, I think he's showing a very quick learning curve on both ends of the floor. And, you know, obviously the decision is for him to potentially help the first group, and it's also to maybe have some other guys in the second group that can help generate um, some more offense for, for that, you know, segment of the game as well. So, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. I thought Keontae did a good job. I mean, nine assists and one turnover is good. Um, I think in general, uh, he's still learning how to pick his spots, when to shoot. I think he turned down probably five or six shots off the bounce that we would like to see him take. But I think overall, his poise and communication tonight was fantastic. The spacing's more suitable. Without Walker out there on the floor, there isn't one player who isn't a known shooter John's much improved from his three-point range from last year. Lowry is dead-eye this season. Lowry's the biggest bright spot of the entire season for the Jazz right now. His seven-footer record in terms of shooting threes is known, but the movement that he has off the ball, staying engaged when he doesn't have it, playing through the different and various guard rotations that they've had of various success. He's averaging 24, 8, and 2 on 47% shooting from the field, 43% from three, and 87% from the free throw line. He's doing it near 50, 40, 90. A very select group of players, the elite of the elite, happened there. He is their all-star. Looking at team building, trying to create and find good players that will work on your team, he's a good player. He's playing amazing. You can pretty much put it in pen, his averages. That's how reliable he's gotten so far. So marketing Collins, Abaji, he gets the start, alongside Clarkson and George. They're shooting at all five positions. Now they need to start hitting shots. Ochai's in the low 30s. Clarkson's in the 20s in terms of three-point shooting. Now they just need to hit the shots because spacing's out there. Without Walker, Collins can roll. Collins can be in the dunker. It's less congested than it was at the start of the season. And there's got to be a conversation about playing Walker, John, and Lowry in the front line. It's huge, but it's crowded. And how do you create that spacing once Walker's back? I need to see more of this new starting lineup, how it fares, because Keontae George is going to be a big part of the future. It's one thing to do it against the twos, but Holly Rowe brought it up on the pod last time. Doing against the first teams, against the best of the best, that's going to speed up the development. And ultimately, you're really just asking the backcourt not to be turnover machines. They don't need to be Chris Paul, where this year he has 60 assists and like six turnovers. It's some absurd number. You have Mike Conley go a turnover in the first game and then nothing over the next six. It's not that you need that, but you need something, a semblance of poise. 
And that's been the word on Keontae the entire time. He's poised. Best assist to turnover ratio on the team. 2.33. I'll read out the other ones just to help you out. Taylor Horton Tucker, 2.27. Chris Dunn, 2.0. Ochai, 1.50. Jordan, 1.32. And Colin, 1.24. As much as I've talked about how the starting group's going to do, how's Taylor Horton Tucker going to take to that second unit? How are those lineups going to play? It's going to be more of that drive-kick swing because Taylor Horton Tucker likes going downhill. Colin Sexton likes going downhill. Chris Dunn operates in the paint, has that push shot. There's still got to be that style. And as the Jazz find out what the identity of the team is, you have to think that it goes alongside their rookie lead guard. Let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jets. in tournament time and contractually obligated to talk about it because the Jazz gets started in Friday in Memphis. New court, New Jersey's, it looks different. But the in-season tournament idea, I remember it was one of the first questions I asked Adam Silver when he came on the podcast in 2019. This is something that they've been thinking about for a while. I am a proponent of it. Um, I, I am a fan of um, international soccer leagues where there are multiple competitions, as many uh, as many of our general managers and um, basketball folks who've been in this business for a long time have said to me, who also follow um, other international leagues, that there should be more to play for than just the Larry O'Brien trophy, as important as that is. I also recognize that a fair commentary from people say, who will care by just adding a midseason tournament? And my reaction is that I get it, but I think over time we can build new traditions in this league. I think we're still experimenting, um, or I should say, you know, noodling different formats. You know, maybe possibly it it should look more like a holiday tournament around the Christmas holidays rather than midseason. In part because one thing we've heard loud and clearly back from our players and our teams is we love All Star break, and we think it might overwhelm All Star to try to sort of. Um, combine that with a midseason tournament. So we're, we're hard at work at it. I, I, I am hopeful we can get something done because I, I, I do think that we can add a little bit more competition to this league and create something else that will, that will be fun to play for. And you hear it from them. It's about generating interest during the season, keeping people paying attention to basketball during the football months. This is all about the TV deal. The NBA's in negotiations for a new TV deal with ESPN, TNT, NBC's probably going to be in the mix for it. But when you're trying to go to these 
TV providers, streaming's probably going to be a part of it as well. When you go to these guys, you have to have compelling games to give them to fill out their schedule. Because Random Tuesday in Indiana, does that have the same juice as a Tuesday in Utah? People care around here. Arena's usually sold out. If it's a close game, they get as loud as any other place in the entire league for regular season games here. But in other places, that's very difficult. They don't draw. So these in-season tournament games are a way to gin up excitement during the football months when they're competing for eyeballs. They have their own unique look. And for fans, for people listening to this podcast, why would you care? Lore's going to come later. They need to stick with the in-season tournament so that they can have people buy into the fact that it's going to be a big weekend in Vegas. You can celebrate it during that time if you make it to the last four. But history, having what other soccer leagues have with their cups and how much history is attached to that, you're not going to get that the first year. But what you can get is high-level basketball. The players need to realize if they compete hard, this will be something that people pay attention to. They can't treat it like the All-Star game, where there's various levels of care factor for dudes, where there isn't defense, it's just lobs, it's throwing it against the backboard, that's it. It can't be that. So they have to be good partners, too, in realizing this is a part of the big pie. They get a revenue split. 51% of the basketball-related income goes to the players. So if the TV deal escalates the salary cap, the players get that money. Being good partners in the player resting program, that's about keeping fans interested. Adam Silver was on the J.J. Reddick podcast yesterday, and he was talking about how Twitter, NBA Twitter, is impacting the player resting policy. Listening to you. If you care about it, the NBA is going to care about it. And this being the first year, I'm sure there will be alterations to it. But the fact that the NBA is thinking about these things is good. Playing tournament was a great evolution on the playoff format. And the in-season tournament hopefully does the same. At some point, there's got to be more of a fan incentive to care about the tournament other than the fact that the players are getting more money, the coaches are getting more money. What's the fan going to grab to? Maybe that's a draft pick. Maybe it's a play-in spot automatically by winning the tournament. There's got to be something, and there will be tweaks to the entire format, I'm sure, going down to the name in-season tournament. Is that the best the NBA minds could come up with? I'm sure there will be alterations. But it begins for the Jazz in earnest. Memphis, Portland, Phoenix, Lakers. Happening now, it's going to look different. That Bulls court was on Mars. The Nuggets won. Made Denver-Dallas look like a video game. These will have unique looks. And that's good. There should be unique things about the NBA season. This is one of them. Five stars. Nice views. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. I'm going to be back on Tuesday because the Stars start their season this weekend, and Monday they take on G League Ignite. 
the grand experiment of that league, having what looks like three top 10 picks. And I realize you talk to people year out, this draft, not very good. This draft, bad. Everybody is talking about how this one, not worth its salt. I bet when draft season actually comes around, people are going to change their tune. They're going to say, well, actually, you find a couple players in this draft. Hmm, I'm not so down on it as I thought I was. Happens every year. Happens every time there's a supposed bad draft. Then again, maybe they are right. Who knows? That being said, Monday's going to be a good litmus test for it with those three picks. Modest Bazelis, Ron Holland. Talked to a scout the other day about Ron Holland, and they loved what they saw. He's a scorer. One of the most difficult skills in the league. And he can do it. Almanza's supposed to be good, too. He's a 6'10 big, can shoot and pass. Won the MVP at the U17 and U19 levels. There will be some good players playing on Monday. In addition to Taylor Hendricks and Bryce Sensabaugh. Oh, just the first round picks that the Jazz had this year. And so I'll hit you on the other side of that. Let you know what I heard, what I watched, and and get you ready for the in-season tournament games for the Jazz. The players need to care about this. For the TV deal, for pride, and to give us some juice. But I'll be back then. I'm JP Chunga. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. <laughs>